Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Awesome. I was, I was telling Phil before the service, I would have never dreamed when I was laid in that hospital bed, um, you know, fighting for my life that God would send me all around the world to tell this story. Um, and I never wanted to write a book. That's the last thing I wanted to do. Um, and it was Tracy Stewart, in fact, when I was in hospital. She wrote me an email. And I'd never met her at this point, so I've only known her for a couple of years myself. And she said, Matthew, God is about to send you around the world. And he's going to give you a voice. She said, I see you writing books and I see you on television telling a story. And I, I never even, I mean, you can't do this. Listen, you know, the best marketing in the world, the best video production, the best design, yeah, it's all important, but God can only get you to certain places and in front of certain people. And we now think over a million people have heard this story, um, which is incredible, really, when you think about it. Um, I was very determined when I, when I was healed that I wouldn't make any money out of this. There's enough preachers out there using the pulpit to make money. I thought, we don't need another one. Um, so, um, and I, to be honest, guys, you know, God healed me. I, I couldn't put my head on a pillow at night knowing that I'd made money today out of a miracle God did in my body. I would find that a bit weird. So I determined from day one, I said to Becky, I'm going to give every penny I get as a result of this straight back to the missions. And we've raised tens of thousands of pounds now as a result of this miracle. People have paid, I've been speaking in some big places across the world and people write big checks and every time I say no, it goes to one by one. Even the book sales, I've said don't give me a penny from it. Um, and people have said you should get a royalty, you should get a commission. I've said forget about it, I want to put it all back in to what we do. Because we've got to keep, you know, Phil said something incredible. So we've got to keep, we can never forget where we came from. You know, you should never forget where you came from. That's why... Um, even um, with this, you know, I often, I've been back to the hospital twice now and I've just walked around the ward where I almost died and people think that's a bit weird, it's a bit morbid, but I wanted to be grateful and to be thankful of what God did. I don't really talk about that much, but I went and saw the nurses, I went and saw the doctors a year after and I said, I just want to say thank you. Um, and it was just an incredible thing, just not forget. It could have been over for me at 27 years old. My life could have ended so, I was so close to that being it. But God stepped in, God did a miracle. So I don't want to forget that. This book will bless you, you'll read it pretty quick. Um, and you can give it away, bless it to someone, bless it to uh, someone who's going for a tough time. Who wants a free book right now, anyone? Come on. There you go. Christians love a freebie, don't they? Um, so all the hands go up there. So, um, yeah, please get one of them. You'll, you'll really appreciate it. Um, I've got a message on my heart, which is actually quite a... How do I say it? It's quite a, I'm going to be quite vulnerable today. I'm going to be quite honest, which I guess is good for a preacher to, to be. Um, but I'm going to be really honest about some failures I've made in my own life. Um, and I'm going to talk um, a little about my own journey, what God's had me do in the last few years. And this, I believe, will bless you. The title of the message, I guess, is First Love. First Love. 
You can turn to the book of Revelation if you want to do that. Um, Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read the first seven verses. I'm reading from the New King James Version, of course. Um, And this is a pretty important message. Um, This, if you think about it, the words I'm about to read in my Bible, they're read, which of course means Jesus wrote them, or Jesus said them. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus was to walk in here right now and say, I've got a word for you, I'm sure we would stand to attention. Well, really, this is the same thing. Because the written word of God is about, this isn't just me, it's not my interpretation of what Jesus said, this is exactly what he said. So it's pretty important, okay? Here's Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, Now he begins to address this particular church. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You've persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We can leave it there, actually. We can leave it there. Um, Pretty strong words. I think in life, there's a few things you can afford to lose. You can lose your car keys. Anyone ever done that? Anyone done that today? You can lose um, your car, your house, your job. I don't know if you've ever lost your job. It's probably not a very nice feeling to have lost a job. You can lose some money. I thought last night I'd lost my wallet. It's not a nice feeling when you think you've lost your wallet and some jerk is going wild on your credit card. Can you say that in church? I don't know. You can lose your brain cells. Some people do that on a regular basis. Some people do that on a Sunday morning. Some people, dare I say it, you can lose a loved one. And that can be pretty tough. However, at some point, God will help you and the grief will begin to become a little easier and God will minister to you. So although you can lose a loved one, God will bring you through. So there's lots of things that, yeah, they're not nice to lose anything, but you will sort of get over it. If you lost your car keys, you'd just sort it out. If you lost your credit card, you'd call the bank and you'd cancel it and life would move on. There's one thing You can't afford to lose today. And that is your first love. Your passion, your desire, your adoration of Jesus Christ. That's one thing you cannot afford to lose. Um, Now the 
the, Jesus, when he's writing this, he's talking to the church at Ephesus. I wonder if we could pull verse 2 up there again, guys. Revelation 2, verse 2. Um, now, for those of you who know your Bible history, Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. So we're talking here about a big, big city. And we're also talking here about a big church. So this ain't some little pokey church on the corner. This is a large city church. Multiple services. Fancy website. You name it. This place has got it going. Okay, This is a big church. They'll have had the best worship team, the slickest preachers, the nicest building. This is Ephesus City Church. It's big, it's bold, they do things well. And guess what? Jesus has actually got a lot of good things to say about this church. I mean, look, I mean, when Jesus speaks about my church, I would love him to say some of these things. Okay? They they work hard. How many know as Christians, we need to work hard? You know, it's not easy. You know, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. It's actually work. A lot of Christians don't want to hear that because they just want to show up on a Sunday morning. But reaching a community for Christ is hard work. You know, Jordan here is 20 years old. He's our children's pastor. And he'll reach on a, on a good week almost 900 kids he will personally preach the gospel to. How many know that's a lot of hard work in a town of 12,000 people? You can reach 10% of them in one week. He can do that, but it's hard work. It's not easy. So this church, good old EphesusCityChurch.com, they work hard. Perseverance. Oh man, we need some of that, don't we? We have to work with Christians 24-7. We need perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. These guys stand up against sin. How many know that in our pulpits today, we've got to stand up against sin? I mean, we've got to preach the truth of God's word. I was trying to explain this to someone last night that we've got to do our best to live a holy life for God. These guys actually do that. They do not tolerate wicked men. They kick them out. They deal with it. I mean, they, what a great church. I'd be signing up to the Connect group on Eventbrite this week. It gets better. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them. F- I mean, these guys even have discernment. They have discernment. They, how many know there's some false prophets around there? There really are some false prophets. I had one guy join my church a couple of years ago. And within three minutes of meeting him, he told me how many books he'd written, how many nations he'd been to, and he asked if he could get on the pulpit next week. I'm like, no thanks, mate. So, these guys, I mean, they really have got it. They're a great church. Just pull the next verse up. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. So these guys, they've even gone through persecution. 
I mean, what is not to love about this church? Do you get what I'm saying? This is a great church. Many of us would give our right arm to be part of this church. It sounds incredible, doesn't it? They don't tolerate sin. They've endured persecution and they're still standing. They work hard. Everything you'd want in your team. They have not grown weary despite all the persecution. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted. I haven't. But I've met people who have. You know, British people think they've been persecuted because someone doesn't want to go on the tea rotor one week. Okay? Or they fall out with the drummer and they think that the persecution has hit the church. Listen, that's not persecution. I've been in Sri Lanka. He likes that one, doesn't he? He likes that. He's fallen out with the drummer. (laughs) He is the drummer. All right, okay. And I've been in Sri Lanka one time and I met a female pastor who'd literally been raped by rebels. They put poison in the water supply of the church because they wanted to kill the Christians. That's persecution. Some of you guys have been to Iraq. And that kind of stuff is persecution. Not some little church squabble. We go to Pakistan in February. And we were there at the embassy yesterday sorting out our visa. And it was just crazy, the, the, the application process, just to get a visa. And my guy on the ground, my pastor who I'm dealing with on the ground, we're going to reach a thousand people in one day with the gospel message. And he's saying, um, do you want some security guards? I'm like, yeah, look at me. And um, I said, well, is it bad there? He said, well, the other week, two Christians were burnt alive. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll take a security guard. And I'm having this conversation with him about how, how big his gun is going to be at the security guard. So I've ordered five security men. I thought, I'll take all five. I'm going to go there for three days. We're going to do what we've got to do and then get out of town. But those kind of people actually suffer persecution, real persecution. So, back to Ephesus Church. I mean, listen, I think I've labored this now long enough. It's a good church, yeah? But, just move to verse 4, guys. I hold this against you. Wow. Imagine that. Imagine if Jesus said to you, I've got something against you. That would be pretty scary. You have forsaken your first love. Hmm. You've forsaken your first love. Um... There's a Bible teacher by the name of Vince Havner. He once said this. The primary qualification for a missionary is not love for souls, but love for Christ. Wow. Dr. Michael Brown, some of you will know that name. He said this. Everything we do, praying, studying, soul winning, discipling, worshipping, preaching, teaching, parenting, serving, giving, must flow out of our love for God. He is the source. He is the motivation. 
He's the foundation. Hmm. Losing your first love. Those of you who are married will know most marriages go through a time when things can be a little bit tough. And you can begin to lose that first love. And every now and again, you just need a reminder. I was telling the story recently. Um, Becky and I were in Louisiana about maybe 18 months ago. And we'd had a great trip, successful trip, new opportunities, preaching in great churches. And then right at the end of the trip, the pastor and his wife said, we're going to take you out for a meal and I'm going to take you to the airport. Great trip. Marital bliss could not be better. And then the pastor makes the fatal mistake of offering my wife the chance to go shopping. <laughs> right as we're getting on the plane. Just hours before. I said, well, okay, what, what harm can be done in an hour? Well, <laughs> listen. So we get to this shop and... Um, Becky really loves, like, to buy stuff for the house, you know. Like, <laughs> men don't really care about that kind of thing, as long as the TV works. <laughs> but Becky wants to buy... And in America, you can get really, um, like, spiritual stuff for your wall, and, like, plaques with Bible verses on them. That seems to be much more accessible in America than heathen Britain. <laughs> so... So, she sees this um, kind of like painting thing, and it's got a Bible scripture on or some kind of Christian phrase, and she says, oh, I really like that. I'm like, yeah, me too. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking, let's just, just get off the subject of that painting. That is not coming home to England. We, do, we all know it's not going to happen. It's huge. It's not going to fit in a suitcase. And... Let's be honest, we don't really care about that, even though it's got a Bible verse on it. Let's get home. So I tried to get out of the shop, and then I could tell that she really wanted to just spend a few more minutes looking at this thing. So um, I'm like, okay, well, here's what you do. You let it, just let them admire it for a little bit, and just after a couple of minutes, it, it often wears off, and then you can, you can get them out. Onto the next shop. And clearly, we're not going to buy this huge thing. It's not going to fit in the suitcase. So, there's no point worrying about it. Anyway, it didn't work. So then, she gets that there's a little bit of tension going on. She knows I want to get out of the shop. I know she wants to buy the painting. So, I'm like, okay, this is going to go one or two ways. We're either going to buy the painting or we're not. So, I'm thinking, we're not going to buy it, obviously. So then she senses that I'm really against buying this painting. So I almost think she does it to annoy me. But she's like, I'm going to buy that painting. And it's a, it's a clash of two very stubborn people and who's going to win. Now here's what she does. To, I'm going to say manipulate me. But, you know, hopefully she won't listen to the podcast. Um, but she gets the pastor and his wife on her side about the painting. So now suddenly, not only am I against my wife, I'm against my wife and the man of God. And his wife, who of course leads a great women's ministry and all this stuff. So then she's like, what do you think? And she does it in a very clever way. She doesn't just say, should we spend several hundred dollars on this painting? She like says, 
Pastor, if, if your wife wanted... Like, Pastor, when you go abroad, do you always get your wife a gift before you go home? So she's... These kind of tactics, you know, very sneaky. So I'm like, they are, this is now turning into like a war. And they're against me, and it's one against three. But I'm like, I'm not buying that painting. So I looked at her and I thought, I, I, I pulled her to one side, you know, like you do. You know, when you've got people there and you don't want to have an argument. I went, don't buy that, you know, getting angry. Do not but we're not going to get that home. So I said, it's not even possible. They won't even package that. How are you going to get that in your suitcase? She went, and then the pastor overhears. And he goes, oh, I'm going to speak to the manager and see if he'll put it in a package for you. Ah! Oh. So um, it's just getting worse. Anyway, the guy says, yeah, I'll bubble wrap it for you. But I'm like, it's still not going to fit in the suitcase. Oh, Maybe we can ship it to England. But how much is that going to cost? Anyway, long story short, an hour later, I'm at Atlanta Airport with this stupid painting. <laughs> Several hundred. And then I get there. They won't weigh it in. They're saying, oh, you, you won't go in on as normal luggage. You'd have to pay extra baggage. And I'm thinking, this thing is just Ridiculous. And I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you now. I did not want that thing. And I was not very happy with my dear wife. So it kind of put a bit of a bit of tension on the trip. And I'm obviously being a little bit funny. And I'm trying to joke with you. But it absolutely wound me up. This stupid painting. Which still to this day proudly sits in my living room. And every time, every day, I have to look at that thing. But you know what? And I thought, I'm, I'm not putting it up. I was that stubborn, so I, I, you can sort that out. So she had to get someone else in. I'm terrible. What an awful husband. But you know what? When it was on the wall, she looked at me one day, and she had a little paint in there, and she gave me that little look in the eye. And with just one little look, it was like I was reminded why I loved her in the first place. And yeah, there'd been a bit of tension. Yeah, I was almost filing for divorce. <laughs> but really, it was nothing. And I just needed to be reminded of my first love. Just like that. And every now and again, in our relationship with God... There can be a little bit of tension, not because of anything he's done, but because of something we've done or something we haven't done. And we've all, I don't care how spiritual you are, this is a great church, a church that loves the presence of God. But sometimes we can take our eye off the very reason we're here in the first place. And we can get so caught up in all the busyness. Your church, this is a busy church. It's a great church. It's a busy church. If I lived in Cambridge, I'd be here at the two o'clock service so I could have a lion. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but I would be here. It's a great church. I love it. But sometimes I've been there myself. We can be so caught up in what we're doing for God that we miss and we forget our first love. The prayer time just comes down the priority list. The Bible plan, that Bible in a year plan, which you know, lasts until March... 
And you're that far back, and you think, oh, I'll wait till January now. Start it again next year. <laughs> We've just got to be reminded of our first love. Here's where I'm going to get really honest with you. In 2010, I was in the Bay Revival. Some of you know that. Lydia was there with me. Nathan Morris was there. And we went out for a two-day conference. That's it. We were there two days. And we ended up staying for one year. So who knows how long I'll be here today. (laughs) We might stick around a few months. Come on. Um, And it was incredible, guys. I mean, the stuff, when I first got saved, I was obsessed in revival. So I would read every book, Welsh Revival, Hebridean Revival, Reformation. I would buy books about you know, God's generals. And I was, I was just Smith Wigglesworth. I bought every book Wigglesworth had ever, on Smith Wigglesworth. Every one there ever is, I, I own. There's not a book about Smith Wigglesworth that I do not own. I would read about John G. Lake, the South African evangelist, whose the healing anointing on his life was so strong that... People would literally come to his house and lay on his garden on the grass and experience the healing touch of God. I would read about Catherine Coleman. I would read about Branham. I would read about Seymour. I would read about all these great people. And I was, I was just obsessed. God, let me be a part of something like this. I didn't have to be the preacher. I'd be the guy with the iPad on the testimonies. I didn't care. I just wanted to be close to where God was moving. I read the book of Acts. And let me be honest with you, it didn't tie up to the church which I saw in Great Britain. Where people were miserable and dead. And I read the book of Acts and people are alive and seeing miracles. That's why I love hanging around these guys because they still believe in the power of God. Still believe that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So when we got to America and this thing kicked off, I thought, wow, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Three, four meetings a week, sick, being healed, emails coming in, phone calls, yeah, I've been healed. I mean, one little boy, his name was Caleb, and he had a tumor, brain tumor in his head. And they brought the scan that showed this big lump in his head. And we could see the scan on the big screen. He came for prayer. The following week, he came back, and the lump had completely disappeared. The tumor had gone, vanished. And we saw this. I mean, this was the kind of stuff... Which we were seeing. It wasn't just on TV. It was us. It was surreal. Some nights we, we, I was hosting the show for God TV. And we'd have testimonies from, I mean, hundreds of pieces of paper would be handed to me every night. Saying, Sweden, Finland, Australia, Africa. I mean, the world was blessed by this move of God. You'll all know the story. Of the woman who got out of the wheelchair after 22 and a half years. Her name was Delia Knox. And she had been in that chair for two decades. And her life was ruined. Paralyzed from the waist down. If you hit on the leg, she wouldn't feel it. She, she had no feeling at all underneath her waist. And I was there the night. I was one of the people holding her and helping her. As Nathan Morris prayed for her and she got out of that chair and she began to weep as strength came into her body. I was there. I saw it happen. And we were in the middle of an incredible move of God. The finances were flying in. They treated us like kings. I had the best life ever imaginable. 
But it was also a very stressful time. This is the, what they don't tell you. You, know, you see the stick on TV and you see the miracles and the big crowds and the great worship and the mega churches. You think, wow, what a glamorous life. This is the stuff they don't talk about. Because in the middle of that revival, in the middle of that move of God, I was so busy. I was working 15, 16 hours a day. The meetings would start at 7 at night. They'd finish at midnight, 1 a.m. And you'd go out for food. You'd, you'd get to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning every night. And you'd have to get up at 8 the next day and get going again with all the testimonies and the admin. I was still working a job. I was still doing all the finances and business for the ministry. Busy, busy, busy life. Something didn't quite work for me that year. People said that must have been the best year of your life. Actually, looking back, although I'm very grateful to the Bay Revival for what I had witnessed, my own personal life suffered during that time. You could say that maybe, although I had lots of great things going for me, just maybe, I've forsaken my first love. You say, but you were seeing miracles every night. You must have loved God. Well, yeah, I did. But I was that busy running around after everyone else that I forgot to take care of me. And that little devotional time, which I try and do every day, started to disappear. 30 minutes went to 20. 20 went to 10. 20 went to a little scroll through Twitter. And it became, oh, I'll check the verse of the day on the Bible app. And I've, I've ticked the box for the day, haven't I then? Stop praying. We're going into big meetings, praying for the sick. No, no power, no prayer. I lost my first love. Now, thankfully, it wasn't catastrophic for me. Some guys get in this position and they end up running off with their secretary. Or they put their hand in the offering bag. Thankfully, neither of those things happened for me. But it could have done. It could have done. Why? Because I'd lost my first love. During that year, I don't really talk about this often ever because it's quite a personal thing. But we'd been given this land in Kenya to build an orphanage. And we needed, I think, £150,000. We had no money. And it was very crucial that we raise this money, but we had no way of doing it because we weren't out traveling. So I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get the money? And how am I going to build this orphanage? And when we were in America, we found out that we were going to have a baby. So great news, fantastic, first child, super excited. Except in America, it costs quite a lot of money to have a baby. So we suddenly thought, good old NHS, let's get back on a plane to England. So it costs about $7,000 to have a baby in America. That's with no complications, okay? If you want an epidural, it's an extra thousand. I said, no chance. <laughs> she can sweat this one out. Gas her there. Come on. Pay back for that painting. Just kidding. Just joking. <laughs> so... We came back to England, and then, bearing in mind, I've just been in a healing revival. 
Seen miracles every day of my life for 10 months, almost a year. Then I get to Rotherham Hospital. <laughs> and I'm back in my little home church where Phil's dad was one of the leaders and great church. And I walk in there that first week back and life is very different. And then we're about to have the baby. So the next week we go into labor. And you know what it's like. It's, a, it's great isn't it, when you have your first baby. I mean, it's amazing. Such a great feeling of triumph. And you think like, yeah, I've got a baby. I've done something with my life. I'm actually a proper man. <laughs> and I remember that baby coming out. And you're like, wow, you've got, I've got a little boy in my arms. And like, yeah, come on. And then something wasn't quite right. So they said to me, um, we, we're going to have to keep him in a couple of days just to get, he's not feeding. So I'm like, okay, he'll be fine. You know? I'm thinking, I'll be right. I've been in a healing revival. You know, I've seen someone get out of a wheelchair. I'm sure he'll be able to have some milk in a couple of days. It's really not that big a deal. Three or four days went by and he wasn't improving. Little Josiah, four days old. One day we were there and all these alarms started going off. And I'm just freaking out. Suddenly 10, 12 doctors arrive. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I always say, everybody one day will get a phone call that will change their life. You will. So and so is dead. You've lost your job. We're going to have to let you go. Someone's got cancer. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, but you'll all get a call one day that will change your life. Jesus tells a story of the wise and the foolish builder. How are you going to build your life today? Are you going to be made of some strong stuff so that when the wind comes, you're not moving? Or are you going to build your life on sand so that when the wind and the trials come your way, you're just going to get blown down? Listen, the trial came for me. When those doctors ran around, they put him in an ambulance. They said, we're going to the emergency children's hospital. They said, you can't even come in the ambulance. You're going to have to follow us. I'm driving as fast as I can, keeping up with this ambulance. I pull in. They said, we're sorry. We're very sorry. There's something very seriously wrong with your child. We don't know if he's going to make it through the night. I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm feeling worn out, depressed. I feel sad. I'm not in America. I've been in this big televised outpouring. And here I am now in a South Yorkshire hospital. And he knows what they look like. That's why he's laughing. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? This little baby. He's so sick. They said, we're going to have to do an operation. He's got a bowel problem. I don't know all the details. I'm the least medical person you'll ever meet. But it could be costly and he could die tonight. We're going to do an operation. Hopefully it'll save his life. I said, doctor, just do what you can do. Just do your best and we'll pray. We prayed. The doctor went through the night. This surgeon had been working all day long. He came back. He said, I think we're okay. I think we've saved his life. But what happened next was the most incredible year of my life. I've come back to England. I'm trying to start a ministry, start this whole one by one. Nathan Morris supported us and he, he launched us with 30,000 pounds. And he said, here's your gift. 
um, to start the organization. So great support. But we were on our own. On our own. He was back in America. And we had a little baby. And I need a year to build an orphanage because I've got kids screaming, dying, desperate, orphaned, HIV, rape, abuse, desperately needing this orphanage to open. And I need 150 grand. And all I can do is hold a baby. I can't get out and preach because he had to have five surgeries in a year. And eventually on the fifth one, they said, we fixed him. He's going to live a normal life. That took one year out. Now, you might say that must have been the worst year of your life. And in some respects, you would be right. Because I'm an energetic guy. I don't like sitting still. So to put me in a room for a year holding a baby is not exactly my ideal year. Especially when I just spent a year on a televised outpouring, seeing miracles and big churches every day of my life. The contrast. Imagine healing revival one year, hospital bed the next. That's a pretty extreme. Let me tell you guys. I learned more about God in the second year than I did in the first year. You see, miracles are incredible. And I love them. And I've written a book about them. That's how much I love miracles. I was talking about them this week on TBN. <laughs> so, I love miracles. But, I learned in that second year the importance of a relationship with God. Listen, you might have all the power, all the miracles, all the presence in your life, but how is your personal walk with God? How's it going? What if we could have someone on the keyboard? That's okay. Is she around? And could just play something gentle that would be great in that second year I learned so much more about God than the first year and my relationship with God just through holding a little baby began to be reignited you know those early Pentecostals some of the guys I used to read about and still do read about they would sign their letters they wouldn't put kind regards or best wishes they would put K-O-F keep on fire they knew the importance of keeping that flame going when they would shake hands and greet each other they wouldn't say hi how you doing they'd say hi are you burning because they knew the importance of a man and a woman fire for God how's your fire today not how many miracles have you seen this week or how much money are you making no 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 how's your personal fire because every now and again and I do it myself we just get a bit busy and we just get a bit caught up it's not bad things look these guys are good church working hard discerning overcoming persecution good things but they lost their first love wow what a warning that is for the church today we can have it all we can be one of the greatest churches in the planet but we can lose our first love I love how you guys have you have good sized services 
you let God move. And right now, before we do anything else, I'm not even going to necessarily lay hands on you today. I'm just going to encourage you to get back in that place with God where you know you need to be. Have you backslidden? Probably not. I mean, no, you don't backslide overnight. You don't just decide one day to go and have an affair. You don't just decide one day to go and start stealing money. You just allow little things into your life. You make one little compromise after another. And before you know it, you think, how did I get here? Anyone been there or is it just me? Thank God his mercies are new every morning. Come on. This isn't a condemning message. This is actually a loving message. Because the Father is here today. And he's saying, come on, come on back. In Jesus' name. It's not about admitting to sin. It's just about saying, God, I need your presence. Why don't we just bow our heads in this place? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we don't want to lose our first love. Father God, we don't want to be caught out in our walk with you. We want to be so on fire for you, God. We want to burn for you like never before. We worship you, God, for who you are. We love you. I pray for every person in this room, man, woman, child, that they would be reminded, God, of their first love today. They would be reminded of how much you care for them and how much you love them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.